Capital Market Insights from ICMA. My name is Denise Odaro. I am Head of Investor Relations at IFC and Chair of the Executive Committee of the Green, Social and Sustainability Linked Bond Principles. In today's discussion, we will be, we will be covering the ubiquitous term greenwashing. The term greenwashing, most of you might know, was first coined in 1986 in an essay regarding the hotel industry. However, we are increasingly seeing this being used um, across products and practices in sustainable finance. It's become essentially a catch-all for anyone voicing criticism, or, and it's also been adopted by the media rather happily. So with me today, we have Rambos of NNIP, Ayla Crevy of the European Investment Bank, and Sean Kidney of the Climate Bond Initiative. So let me start off by asking you all, perhaps we'll start off with Ayla, but this question really is for all of you. What does greenwashing mean? What does it mean to you? Thanks, thanks, Denise. To me, greenwashing is, what it isn't is that somebody is trying to do something green while not all of their business is green. That is not yet the criteria. To me, is if you do, let's say, 1% of your capex in green and you want to hide the other 99 and you are not even trying to improve on the other 99, especially the latter. If you are not even trying to transition, you just do something like a fig leaf and that's, that's it. I see more of this in corporate communication rather than in the bond market. So it, it sounds like you see it as a relative spectrum. Um, Sean, what is your view on this? Well, the, the Cambridge Dictionary definition of the topic is that they, this is about marketing at companies that appear more environmentally friendly, when in practice, their activities pollute the environment. And I think that's exactly what the fear and anxiety around greenwashing that's out there in the community is. But we need to differentiate between two kinds of greenwashing accusations that occur. There's an accusation with a, about deliberate deception, and there's another accusation, which is really the most common one, which is that people have got it wrong, that what they're thinking is green is just not actually green enough. No. And that, for me, that's the real issue that we need to address. That's, of course, what we're trying to address through things like taxonomies. So Ayla, for Ayla, it sounds like it's relative. It's sort of putting more weight on what you're doing the minimum on. And for you, it's, it sounds like it's more intention driven. Bram, what is your thought on this coming from an, as an investor, of course? How do you see it? What is greenwashing? It's extremely difficult to uh, summarize it one in one phrase. But if I uh, would, would have to, to try that, I would say that um, and, and maybe I'm already talking a little bit from an investor point of view, but I think there's, there's we're talking about greenwashing when there's a very strong mismatch between the intention and the impact of the projects which are financed and the broader strategy of the issuer or the, the company which is, is, is financing or issuing uh, Green Bond. I think in that case, we are, we are talking about greenwashing from, from our point of view. Uh, and I'm curious, actually, do you think of greenwashing, does this only apply to environmental issues? I mean, I've often heard various color washing, like pink washing, etc. Yeah, I, I, I think we have more and more different phrases these, these days, like social washing, uh, SLB washing, etc. Um, I think greenwashing captures, you know, everything where the intentions are from the company or issuer are very different from what the uh, what the project is implying. So that could be social, it could be green. I think it's an it's an 
an, an, an overall um, um, phrase of whatever, um, yeah, of, of anything which 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 has a different impact than what the issuer is intending to. Bravo and Sean. I mean, so so both of you had this, you know, you were very strong on the intentionality, and and to that end, given again just how much of this we're hearing, are these concerns are they valid? So. You know, there's, there are two issues here. There's a kind of big issue about blame and intent and so on we can get into. And I'm going to say that's murky. Some people know everyone should know about climate change, but not everyone does. Most people don't. That is the way it is. What really counts is we the money goes to the right kind of place. And that's why, that is absolutely why, we're trying to develop clear guidance for everyone in the form of things like the taxonomy, the EU taxonomy, the China Green Produce Catalog, and in 30 other countries now around the world, to try and get rid of this problem, to get rid of this doubt now in future. If you want to do something green, here's the rule set. You follow the rule set. You don't try and figure it out yourself or, most likely, follow the words of a consultant who's been paid for you to make you look good, which is the other problem that happens all the time. So, you know, I, I want to be wary of putting the figure and putting blame because it is a complicated issue. But at the same time, we have to fix it. I think the whole team term greenwashing by definition maybe is a bit too negative to what the green bond market would deserve, to be honest. Uh, it, it, it pushes it maybe too much in a negative view because, you know, sometimes when I speak to a lot of end investors and clients from NIP, for example, um, I always try to explain them, um, you want to do something positive in terms of fixed income, what else is as clear and as defined as a green bond market right now? And I think a lot of people sometimes forget it. And sometimes the discussion gets pushed too much towards greenwashing. Um, and when I look at, at ourselves, you know, when, when we analyze green bonds, we say roughly that three quarters of the green bonds, which is being issued, could end up in our portfolios. And the other quarter does not meet our criteria but it does not mean that all that other quarter is greenwashed. It just does not meet our criteria. Maybe it's good for others, but not for us. I think when you really talk about greenwashing, when issuers are um, yeah, trying to show, hey, I'm, I'm financing this nice green or social project. And as a company or issuer, they're doing very different things which are not in line with what, what, what they're trying to say with the issues of a green or social bond. And I also think maybe from that point of view, my definition is probably a little bit different from Sean's because Sean said, well, the projects need to be green. Um, and if those projects which are being financed uh, is something different, then it's greenwashing. But, you know, everybody I speak to really feels misled when they buy into a green project from a company which suddenly starts to invest 20 billion in fossil fuels. So I think that's really where the sensitivities are. And I think also that is a little bit more dis difficult to grasp because defining what a green project is, well, Sean did a lot of great work. We have the EU taxonomy. I think we have quite a good an idea as investors what is meeting those uh, taxonomies and what's not. But, but again, um, yeah, um, maybe the term greenwashing sometimes is a little, little bit too, too heavy and too negative. So you're thinking think about it from a strategy perspective as opposed to just the project. Yes, greenwashing is when there's an, an yeah, an, 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 
contradictory between the, the, the proceeds of, of the bond and the, the projects and, and the, the signal which you're trying to give and the broader strategy of the issuer. Uh, and this is a central thing, Denise, in the green bond market. You know, the green bond market has granted this idea, which isn't necessarily well understood and does lead, I think, sometimes to criticisms of greenwashing. But, you know, if we want to make a transition quickly, we are not going to be able to restrict the organisations that do stuff to those that are green. Mm. We are going to need to use brown balance sheets to build green. Now, that might be the, you know, a bridge too far for a coal company, but I'm still going to say, if you use an asset base that's valued out there as, say, AAA, to build investments that are renewable, and you are through using an old crappy, I would argue, but whatever, that's outdated in the market, asset base, to lower the cost of capital for, say, solar, and therefore make it more viable, do it. I want you to do it. You know, when it comes to the solar and wind, the capex cost is everything because it's all upfront cost. If you could reduce by one or two or three percentage the cost of capital by borrowing it brown, it makes something happen when it otherwise wouldn't happen. This is essential. So that's where a lot of this stuff gets, gets stuck, I think, in terms of understanding that conceptual idea, which is central to the green bond market. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the, the finger pointing that we see now and, and sort of the, the witch hunt, um, do you find that this is actually putting off issuers coming to market. I don't know, Ayla, if you're hearing from peers or in, in some of the sort of informal technical assistance that you're providing, what are you seeing with um, other issuers who are on the fore, sort of periphery? How are they feeling about this? No, I think it is something that people will have to think very carefully because if, if somebody who wants to come as a new issuer to the green world market, um, they will think, in my view, let's say it's a corporate, two things. Do I gain something cost-wise? That's what corporate treasurers are always asking. And then the second thing that somebody else might ask in the organization as well, what is the reputational risk? Because we will be accused of greenwashing. These are the two things, and then you have to weigh them one against the other. And, and of course, uh, things like the taxonomies, etc. they help in this. That This is why, to me, greenwashing, mostly in green bond market, is accidental because you have no big gain I've heard you say that before, and I absolutely agree with it. I, I'm, I'm wondering, actually, so at EIB, was that something when putting together your climate awareness bond program, even as the institution that you are, was that something that was discussed? It was. in Back in 2007, there, there were long, long discussions before we were actually allowed to do the first green bond. First of all, we were not allowed to call it green bond, not because they didn't like the word green. It might sound like greenwashing. We were only allowed to finance uh, loans, which are sort of new loans, not existing pool of assets, and so on and so forth. So there were a lot of things that we still have in the green world today. They were put in place because of fears of greenwashing. So mm -hmm. back then it was. But on the way, of course, there's been uh, more things which are being done in order to uh, help building up market structures. But, but initially, yes. It's so interesting to note. I, I think it, we've talked about green bonds, and I, I'm curious from, from you all, do you think then that there are any particular sustainable finance products that are more susceptible to greenwashing? For example, we know that one of the darlings of the market has been the sustainability-linked bond, but at the same time, you have, you know, at the far end, a lot of criticism about this um, product. In your view, uh, which do you find that there are some that are more susceptible to greenwashing? 
yes, there are absolutely differences in terms of uh, the different uh, labeled bonds in the market. We have some so-called new kids on the block, which really have to prove their credibility and there are less standards and definitions. And uh, well, transition bonds used to be one of them. I think, to be honest, that that label is gone. I think it, it, it missed its momentum. People are not buying into it. Sustainability linked bonds. Um, could be an, a more credible uh, label in the future, but we need much more guidance there. We are really at the early stages. We have not even one KPI date seen passing from any uh, sustainability link bonds. We have no clear definitions. I mean, I, I can go on forever about all the things which have to yet to be done. From the other hand, I think the concept is something which a lot of investors like. So let's not turn away from SLBs, but let's work harder to make this also uh, become a credible market, but we are not there yet. So again, it's not really greenwashing, but it's more like let's develop more and also let's teach and educate a lot of issuers because I think uh, what Ayla just mentioned about, yeah, issuers, they know the consequences if, if they go wrong. I think sometimes they don't. Um, it also depends what type of region you are what kind of banks are helping you? What kind of SPO provider are helping you? So I think it's very important also to help the issuers to, to educate what's out there and what the pros and the cons are of the different uh, products and, uh, and bonds, uh, bond labels. I also, I, I agree with Brem. I think this is just that there are products which are different stage of development, different stages of standardization of getting a little bit more golden rules in place. So One of the ways we're looking at climate bonds is guidance and you know, this is also SBTI and science-based targets and shifts and, and, and others, is what are transition pathways in different sectors that are adequately ambitious that we can use to judge the state and ambition of a corporation in that sector. So, I, you know, I'm going to say at the moment that if a, an oil company were to do a stable-link bond against net zero 2050 targets, a lot of people would probably invest in it. I would say I'd want to unpick that because I want to know how they're going to achieve it. Are they going to do it with offsets? In which case, mm -mm, I think that's a problem. Are they going to do it with cutting back on capex? Well, I would hope there's no capex on future oil and gas, given the IEA's net zero report, etc. So you can. So we need to have a bit of a, an understanding of what is an appropriate pathway in that sector to be able to properly assess the SLBs. And while we have that, it's really hard, and it's very hard for investors. We need more guidance. That includes with sovereigns. You know, if a sovereign puts out a bond, as Chile has done, which is a great bond in my view, um, against their national climate change plans, you have to be able to understand whether the national climate, plans, climate change plans are adequate to be able to assess the SLB, and that's tough. We don't even have in that area adequate comparative tools at the moment. We've got a couple of NGOs doing work. Ram, you made a very strong comment there when you said the transition bond is dead, pretty much, in summary. Um, I, I'm just wondering whether Ayla and Sean feel the same way. We haven't seen much issuance. I think that's the best proof of it. Um, I heard from one banker at some stage uh, that, that, uh, that um, they did not want to recommend, uh, or they told their client, if the client wanted to do a transition bond, they told the client, do not use that name. Mm. It's been... It's been tarnished. So no, I would agree with that. However, there would be there would be a definitely a case both from an environmental sense and from the market sense to have something which is transition bond or amber bonds or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but here the, the the rules and definitions I think are even more needed and even more important than they are in green bonds. And that is what we haven't had so far.
I, I, I would really say that, you know, um, let's not spend time on that part. I mean, if we're going to spend more time on trying to define things, let's try to make current things or things where we really, really believe in, uh, like SLBs, uh, but also green associable. Let's really work on those labels, make them more credible, instead of creating an, an, a number of labels where we get lost in, in the end. Um, you know, that has been one of my frustrations that we're getting sometimes thrown all these labels at the market. And in the end, you, you run the risk of all of having a lot of half developed labels, which nobody understands anymore. I, I want to just use this opportunity to say that that is essentially the spirit of what the principles do. And in fact, the, there was never a momentum to create a new label under transition, but it was rather green bonds with this sort of higher requirement of disclosure supported by the Climate Transition Finance Handbook. So actually that brings me to another question, which is um, for you then, I, I'm really interested to know, Bram, how you assess whether an issuer or a transaction is greenwashing. Is there a particular, are you buying SLBs? And how are you assessing, be it green or SLB, whether this is a greenwashed transaction? Yeah. Well, we are in our green bond portfolios not buying any SLBs because uh, a green bond portfolio should include green bonds. Um, we do have um, other sustainable portfolios where we can buy SLB bonds. Um, yeah, and the question about how do you assess greenwashing, um, you know, I think it's really difficult to put it in one sentence or one framework. I think for us, it's really important, for example, to, be, uh, to have the possibility to really meet with the, the company of the issuer and to ask them a little bit ad hoc questions. Um, I think that's very important. Can, can I just then touch on and ask Sean and Ayla, what tools are out there to currently aid the assessment of transactions with regards to greenwashing? Well, clearly the first thing from my perspective is that the use of proceeds, because the green bond market is primarily, not exclusively, but primarily a use of proceeds market, uh, those kinds of tools, that guidance is in place. You've got the Plum and Bonds taxonomy as a tool. You've got the EU taxonomy now, albeit it's still a work in progress, making it practical. Mention the word grandfather into ALR and you'll see what I mean. <laughs> we have work to do. We know that. Um, but there's also taxonomies under an African name in place in China, which has been central core to the growth of the Chinese market to make sure a viable market. So when people complain, as they do sometimes, about greenwashing in uh, China, mainly based on the old definitions, no longer current. It's not because people have been doing it economy, because everyone is sticking to the rules there. It's just the rules as an argument about the rules. Uh, we have taxonomy development in Asia. We're just doing one in India at the moment with the Ministry of Finance, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one way to address the issue. The issue that Bram raises about the underlying uh, direction of the company is an emergent issue. It's, it's more European focused than other markets. There are a few things that are quite European focused, but Europe's the leader in this market. 50% of all green bonds, certainly so far, issued in Europe, or at least in the last year. So, um, and, it's the, and it's the growth sector. But you know, things are different in different places. To take the transitions label, whilst transitions is not happening in Europe, in Asia, every single government body I speak with, and I was on a G20 webinar yesterday about this, is talking transition. 
it's absolutely a, a dominant part. So I suspect that we will see a whole bunch of develop around transition bonds, which will be for organizations that would not pass Bram's master test in terms of the organizational objectives, but are doing stuff which is in the direction of either it's green or it's stuff that can be seen to be ambitious enough to support green transition. Clearly, there's some definitional issues. Look at the EU taxonomy, the work Ilo and I worked on. There's a whole discussion of what transition needs to mean in practice. It is something we have to engage in. Very well put. Ayla, from an issuer's perspective, what tools do you use to ensure that investors don't think of you as greenwashing? Well, as you know, I'm not an issuer anymore, to be, to be strict. But, uh, but just talking generally for us or any other issuer, well, I think that uh, if we take uh, just a, uh, very technically the green bond, there are two things. There's first of all, your use of process, which has to be uh, impeccable. We have tools for that. We have the, the different taxonomies. We have a sort of kind of a emission levels that I think are pretty well understood nowadays when we talk about uh, climate uh, in particular. Then, but then the other part is the narrative. And this is uh, when, when we, we were, who sat in the technical expert group, uh, when we made the proposal for the green bond standard, we said that you also have to have the narrative. How is this bond linked to your overall strategy, your companies or your issuers transition? How, how is uh, this linked to your plan to be Paris aligned? So though those those to me in the in the bond market is is when you have that, and then you do the rest. What what is expected from you? You do your reporting, and I think you are already very far from getting accused of, of, of greenwashing. And I also have to say that um, if I can squeeze this in, that we see a lot of that, that the public sector talks about the public sector cannot do it alone and corporates have to clean up their act. Yes, but I'm sorry, but also governments have to do the same. So um, uh, so the, the, the private sector cannot do it alone. It's not only the corporates, it's not only the investors, not only the banks who need to do something. Also, governments will need to show the way and they will need to create the frameworks and show example on the, uh, themselves where we are going to this. And if you see that there's just greenwashing talk from their side, then I'm afraid that the private sector doesn't get the very strong incentive and guidance where to go to. Maybe a bit harsh words, but I think it has to be said. So it's follow the leader. You know. yeah. but, but there is the argument that, you know, we now live in a world where there are some corporations that are larger than governments. In fact, quite many. And I, I guess one thing that I, I, I would love to hear from all of you is what do you think the, what is the legacy and what has been the role of the green and the social and sustainability link bond principles? I think they've, they've played an, a very important role. Um, you know, in the end, the, the, the green uh, social bond principles, uh, I mean, they started more or less the, the green bond market and to start give more guidance on the green bond market. Um, at, at all times, uh, there was a belief that this was not the end yet. More had to be done. So it was really the start of uh, the design of more taxonomies and, and a much... Um, yeah, uh, broader, um, uh, well, more, uh, how should I say it, um, spreading of, of the green bond and, and the social bond idea into the, the capital market. But yeah, I think it, it has played a very important role and um, there's much more work to be done uh, like the sustainability link bond uh, market. But that is really at a stage where we were with the green bond market maybe 10 years ago. Sean, what are your thoughts on this? The reporting and transparency provisions that have been 
turn into a protocol, turn into a common language, a common approach, and become global and be adopted by regulators globally. It's been really important to codify and promote and continue to push on those agendas. So from that perspective, of course, it's been central. It hasn't done one thing, though. It hasn't sorted out the greenwashing aspect in terms of claims to be adequately ambitious against the Paris Climate Change Agreement, for example. Now, that's been a journey. You know, when I started, I can remember an argument with the sustainability manager of one of the world's largest banks who would say, this, this climate stuff, it's only ever going to be small, Sean. You know, it's green, broad green. It's going to be big. Climate will be about a $100 billion market if we're really lucky. You know, ho, ho, ho. I think we have in our narrative, and that includes the Green Bond Principles narrative, turn the narrative around to say, you know what? Climate is the existential challenge. It needs to actually affect everything. And MDBs, of course, played a really central role in changing that discourse. But the work to head off the confusion about what is green, which leads to a lot of accusations of greenwashing, is actually been picked up by taxonomy. That's the, that's the really sharp edge of this going forward. And you know, the EU taxonomy work has obviously been absolutely influential in the last few years. And you know, a big nod to my cousins at the EIB, because we have worked very closely on contributing towards that particular process. But it is a, I have to nod to the Chinese regulator, I have to nod to many bodies around the world. That's what's driving the issue. Now, don't get me wrong, it's still a mess in different places, but it is, it has created this discussion, what is actually green enough, which simply wasn't adequately there before. And that's one of the reasons transitions has appeared, because you do now have a strong argument globally around boundaries which is being science-based. And even in Europe, where we're arguing about introducing an amendment to the taxonomy, it's still stuck in parliament, hopefully be defeated, to allow a little bit of gas. You know what, the caveats are so tough that it's, it's gonna be rhetorical rather than practical. Unfortunately, it's a mess because I want the rhetorical agenda one too, but boundary issues are now live and that's taken taxonomy to do it. So I'm gonna say the green bond principles and so forth have been fantastic and really important architecture of the market. Now elevated into regulation, we now needed this extra level, which is happening right in front of our very eyes. Put the two together, whoa, things are gonna be fantastic. Magic. Ayla, what are your thoughts then? Of course, as everyone knows, you, you are the, as I said, progenitor of this one of you. I think the principal has done a, a great thing. First of all, I can't think of any other initiative globally where the leading banks, leading investors, leading issuers have sat down together working on some voluntary guidelines of what is best practices. And uh, this, uh, that, that's why if you see who, who has been involved there, if those people don't know what is recommended as best practices, then, uh, then I don't know who does. Of course, it's when you have so many people involved and, and with uh, sometimes uh, different interests, there, there are compromises. There are always compromises. We know all about compromises from the from the EU platform work with with with, with Sean. But uh, it's still this. I, I I found it actually quite amazing what has happened there. And then yes, uh, going uh, with uh, going out with recommendations, with the reporting, with the different new products and all of that. So uh, is it perfect? No, nothing is where you have so many people involved. That's absolutely not possible. But it, I think it's a pretty convincing piece of work. And because it's apolitical, it's not to link to one country, one region, anything. It's a global platform. It has got um, become the place to, for, for example, governments to go and ask 
for guidance. What do you think about this and that initiative which we are thinking? And I think that's that's a great thing. And because of all of this work done, now we have some more prescriptive things going on. Legislators and regulators are stepping onto the on, onto the arena. But I think that would not have happened without the, the groundwork played by the principals. No way. Yeah, I mean, I, I do not disagree. I'm sure you're not surprised. Um, and, you know, I, I think of the principles as a recipe, how to bake the best cake, essentially. And so but you need to go and get the ingredients elsewhere. And it's never been the objective of the principles to impose what those ingredients are, because it's not the, the expertise of, of the committee is not as, what is green. So we've never set out to define those things, but rather to rely on the, the build on work, which you've all talked about. So I want to end now, what should it be? So anyone listening to this should come away thinking about greenwashing as, let's start off with Sean. We have an extreme amount of confusion about what needs to be done. We need clarity about what needs to be done to be able to move forward. The time to act, to address climate in particular, and as you heard me say, I think climate actually encompasses all of these areas of the market in ways that we need to walk through. The time to act is very short. The ambition that we have to have is way beyond what we're actually doing. It's very hard for everyone to understand what it means for steel, what it means for agriculture, what it means for urban development. It's hard. We need that guidance. And that is the primary antidote to what is currently being called greenwashing, in my view. There is clearly some greenwashing where people are trying to, can I sneak this past? Ooh. But it's relatively minor, to be honest. It's mainly a lack of understanding. And when I speak to issuers in, in Singapore or Indonesia, for example, this is a discussion. What do you mean we really have to do that? But, 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 but can't I do this? That's the discussion. It's a necessary discussion. Taxonomies will help us avoid that issue. The scam stuff, I'm less worried about because we have, thanks to the green bond principles and so on, established the idea of disclosure as central to this. So at least the information is being out. We don't get that kind of lack of disclosure. We've got something to judge at least, but guidance about how to then assess from an environmental perspective is the really essential point. That's what I think people concerned about greenwashing should be asking for, should demand, and they should demand ambition commensurate with what the IPCC says. And therein lies the tricky challenge of the next 12 months. Bram, what about you? Your final words on greenwashing? I, I would try to, uh, to turn this a little bit around this discussion and, and let's, let's focus on all what we have achieved already. I think the green bond market for 90 to 90% does good things. Let's not forget that. I mean, we had this whole discussion about greenwashing, but it's really a very, very, very small part of the green or the labeled bond market, where which is really, really questionable. Um, but, you know, we're not done yet. I mean, we have to do more. I think, you know, 5 to 10% maybe needs to be educated, needs to be... Uh, explained how they can improve their frameworks, how they can improve their business profiles, etc. Um, so I think dialogue and transparency are really crucial to help us forward and to make this green bond market and also the other label bond markets even more credible. And Ayla, last but not least. 
Oof, what can I say after all of this? I think greenwashing to me is not really about some minor um, imperfections in the green bond market. That's not where we should look for it. It's far too transparent already. So you can't cheat that much. And as uh, Sean, uh, Sean was saying, these are usually due to not quite understanding or not quite knowing what, what should be done. So let's let's get a little bit of that. Uh, the greenwashing where it exists is more to me about something more vague when 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 i'm just trying to communicate i don't i don't do anything very concrete i don't give any facts i'm just trying to project myself as green without having the facts to go with so um so i'm i'm just as unable to define it in one phrase as everybody else <laughs> but <laughs> i'm trying to say what what i don't think it is i don't think it is really nesting in the green bond market other than in in sort of a, um let's say bad advice or mistaken uh, mistaken cases, it is really elsewhere. So thank you all so very much. What an interesting conversation. We didn't come up with a definition, but I think the listeners will certainly come away with understanding what greenwashing is and how, if at all, it is active or not, left to them, in labour bond markets. Thank you all very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.